Hello, I'm Gary Fogel. Welcome to another edition of Kentucky Sports Memories. Thank you for joining me. In this show, we're going to look at two football players from Kentucky, two of the most famous, some may say the most famous football players, or associated at least with football, to come out of this state. But obviously, if they're not the two most famous, they're right up there in the top five, definitely in the top ten. But anyway, that is Paul Horning and Howard Schnellenberger. And I wanted to look at these two in particular for this show because both are experiencing some health issues right now. Paul Horning is battling Alzheimer's, and Howard Schnellenberger recently had a fall in his home, and he had an internal head injury, and he's dealing with coming back from that. So both are battling health issues. Both are in their 80s, and so I thought maybe this would be a good time to talk about each one of them. So since uh, Paul seems to be in a more serious situation with the battle he has with Alzheimer's. Let's just start with him. Paul Horning grew up in the west end of Louisville, working class neighborhood, blue collar neighborhood of Louisville. As a matter of fact, they both did, Horning and Schnellenberger. They both went to the same high school, Flaget High School in the west end of Louisville, a Catholic high school for all boys. It was for all boys up until I think the last couple of years that it existed. It closed in the mid-70s when it didn't have enough enrollment, but a Catholic high school for all boys back when they were there, and they were there in the early 50s. Paul Horning graduated from Flaget in 1953. He was an outstanding athlete, as you can imagine, at Flaget High School. Lettered in three sports all four years he was there, football, basketball, and baseball. Outstanding player in all three. So we'll just back it up a little bit and talk about what you probably know him for. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame as a running back for the Green Bay Packers in the NFL. He played with the Packers from 1957 to 1966. He was there a year before Vince Lombardi showed up as the coach, and when he got there, they were not a good team. Many people remember the old Packer teams and think of how great they were. Well, they were horrible before they were great, and when he got there, they were horrible. They didn't get good until... um, Vince Lombardi came on as the coach. So anyway, he played on teams that won four NFL titles, and they also won the first Super Bowl. And he is the first Heisman Trophy winner because he won the Heisman at Notre Dame. He's the first Heisman Trophy winner to do all of the following, and that is to play pro football, be selected as the first overall selection in the NFL draft, which he was in 1957, win the NFL Most Valuable Player Award, and be inducted in both the Professional and College Football Hall of Fames. And he was a very versatile player. He played halfback. He played quarterback. He was a place kicker. And he did all three of those while at Notre Dame. And also at Notre Dame, he played basketball. So quite the athlete in college. Born and raised, as I said, in Louisville, Kentucky. Still lives in Louisville. Went to Flaget High School, which is now closed. Flaget was like what Trinity and St. X High Schools are in Louisville today. Excellent high school as far as athletics. Won a lot of state titles in many sports. And as I say, it closed in the mid-70s due to low enrollment. But anyway, he was recruited by Bear Bryant at Kentucky. Almost went to Kentucky, but decided instead to go to Notre Dame. And I'll get into the details of that here a little later in the show. So when he gets to Notre Dame, spent his sophomore year as a fullback, as a backup, because you may remember when he played 
college football freshmen were not eligible to play varsity. You spent your freshman year practicing, and you played on the freshman team, but you could not play varsity. That was an NCAA rule. So he sits out his freshman. Well, he doesn't sit it out. He just uh, he practices, but he doesn't play in varsity games as a freshman. So his sophomore year, he was a backup fullback. Didn't get a lot of playing time. And uh, it was his junior, re- junior year that he really blossomed. He was a halfback, and he was a safety. It was his junior year. Then in 1956, his senior year, he was playing quarterback, and that year he won the Heisman Trophy. Even though the team finished 2-8, and eight, they had a losing record, and he's the only college football player in history to win the Heisman Trophy on a team that did not have a winning record. Notre Dame was awful that year, 2-8 and eight his senior year, but he still wins the Heisman. He played quarterback that year, but he also at quarterback did a lot of running, threw the ball, obviously, but they also said he blocked. He would block as a, as a quarterback. He'd make the pitch, and then he'd get out and make the block so his running back a gain yardage. Many consider him the greatest all-around football player in Notre Dame history, and that's because not only did he win the Heisman, because they've had other Heisman Trophy winners, but he led the team offensively in passing, rushing, scoring, as well as kickoff returns, punt returns, and he was also the punter. <laughs> then on defense, he played defensive back, and he led the team in passes broken up. He was second in interceptions and second in tackles made. So think about that. Your quarterback at Notre Dame, your star, is also returning punts, he's also returning kickoffs, and he's also playing safety in the defensive secondary. That's why many consider him the greatest athlete to ever play football at Notre Dame. As I say, he also played basketball one year, his sophomore year at Notre Dame. Went on to his professional career, as I mentioned, played from 1957 to, he was selected first overall in 1957, the NFL draft, and played all the way through the Super Bowl in 1967. It was also interesting that while he was in the NFL in 1961, he was drafted into the Army. So he had to go and serve in the Army. But here's the thing. Head coach Vince Lombardi happened to be good friends with President John F. Kennedy. So they made the arrangement where Horning, even though he was serving in the Army Monday through Friday, he would get a weekend pass and he could go to wherever the Packers were playing, whether that was at home or on the road, and he could play in the game with the team, not miss any games. Then on Monday, he'd return to the Army to camp and serve his time. So (laughs) he was serving in the Army, got a weekend pass, and was able to play with the Packers still. So I guess it's, it's good when your coach knows people in high places, that being the President of the United States. You can get something like that done. Another notable event in his career was he was caught betting on games while he was playing for the Packers. It is well known, and he readily admitted it when he was called on it by the commissioner. He bet on Packers games, and he always said, I've heard him say a million times, I don't know what the problem was because I never bet against the spread. I never shaved points. I always bet that we win by more than what the spread said we would. So what's the problem with that? But, of course, the NFL and all pro sports looks down upon any type of gambling that where you bet on your league or on your team and there's a penalty to be paid. 
It was in 1963 that this happened. It was considered a major scandal. Horning and another one of the league's top stars, that being defensive tackle Alex Karras, the Detroit Lions, they were suspended from football indefinitely in April of 1963 by Commissioner Pete Rozelle for betting on NFL games and associating what they what they called undesirable persons. So uh, Horning admitted to his mistake. It somewhat tarnished his image. But in 1964, his suspension and Karras' suspension were reevaluated by the league, and both were reinstated in March. So they set out a year because of the uh, gambling situation where they had bet on games. But again, as I said, Horning always said he bet on the Packers to win. He always bet them to beat the spread. So he never knew what the big deal was. Anyway, that was his life as a high school player, as a college player, and what he did professionally. As I say, he is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and now approaching the age of 85. He'll be 85 in December. Paul Horning is battling Alzheimer's, and he has some good days, but uh, I think more bad days than good days anymore, and very difficult for him as uh, obviously he and his family are dealing with this issue. Paul Horning and Howard Schnellenberger are my topics. We'll talk about both of them, but Paul Horning, as I said, will be first, and I'll have more on him after the break. So let's take a break. We'll come back, and I'll talk to Carl Schmidt, who's very close to Paul Horning, and talk about his career. That's coming up in just a moment, so stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211 and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones. And so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211. And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogel. Thank you for being with me. And our topic today is Paul Horning and Howard Schnellenberger. Some would say the two most famous people associated with football in the state of Kentucky. They're not the top two. I would think they're certainly in the top five. But we'll begin with Paul Horning. As I mentioned in the last segment, Paul approaching the age of 85 
is dealing with Alzheimer's, and I would love to talk to him for this show, but he's just not in a position where he could do that. And so instead, I'm going to talk to Carl Schmidt. Carl is also a graduate of Flagey High School in Louisville, where Paul Horning graduated. Carl is about 10 years behind Paul, so they didn't go there together. But Carl is involved with the Louisville Sports Commission. He is the head of the Louisville Sports Commission, as a matter of fact. And they, together with Paul Horning, created the Paul Horning Award. And every year they give that award, every year since 2010, they give that award to the most versatile college football player in the country. And the reason they give it to the most versatile is because I mentioned in my last segment, that's the kind of football player Paul Horning was when he played at Notre Dame. He was a quarterback. He was a running back. He was a punter. He was a punt returner. He was a kickoff returner. And he was a defensive back. So he pretty much played everywhere. And that's why they give this award to the most versatile college football player in the country every year. And uh, the quarterback club also gives a Paul Horning Award. It goes to the most versatile high school football player in the state of Kentucky. So anyway, Carl Schmidt is involved with Paul Horning with the Paul Horning Award. And as I said, since uh, Paul Horning's fighting Alzheimer's these days, not able to talk with him, I talked to Carl Schmidt, who's known Paul for years, very close to him. We had a conversation about Paul Horning's life and his career, and as I said, Paul approaching the age of 85, coming up in December, still lives in Louisville. So here's my conversation with Carl Schmidt. Carl, let's start with Paul, and I think beyond being just a very talented football player, a lot of people don't realize he was quite the character. Yeah, well, look, the uh, the nickname Golden Boy uh, certainly fit him well. Um, it came from the Golden Dome in Notre Dame and his his uh, golden locks, his hair color. And uh, but he was uh, he was a free spirit. He had a good time. He um, liked to uh, enjoy the finer things in life. There's a great picture of him, and it hangs in his office in sometime in the '60s with him and Roger Maris and. Uh, um, uh, Mickey Mantle in Fort Lauderdale. So you, you figure those guys were having a good time. But yeah, Paul was a guy that enjoyed uh, things off the football field that uh, just made him a, a different guy. He was sort of like a Joe Namath before Joe Namath. He was. And, and he told me a story. I used to travel with him to the Heisman. And he told me a story one time about <clears throat> he would hang around with uh, uh, some players with Frank Gifford and then uh, one of the players from the Yankees, and he said a night for them would be they'd, they'd go to their favorite Italian restaurant, then they'd go to the Copacabana and listen to Frank Sinatra, and they'd always have a great table, and then they'd end up down in, in Harlem listening to Count Basie, and by that time the sun would be coming up. So, yeah, he had a um, he liked to do things, and he liked to get out, and he would travel, and he would go to cities, and he would mix it up with people. And he was a good athlete in terms of he played a lot of golf and a lot of golf outings and just was a guy that uh, he was he was easy to like, very friendly, but certainly liked having a good time. Coming out of high school, obviously, he was heavily recruited. And I think, if, if I remember correctly, he told me one time he basically went to Notre Dame because he was raised Catholic. His mom was a devout Catholic. And she wanted him going to a Catholic school. 
Yeah, he was on his way to Kentucky, uh, Bear Bryant, and uh, Bryant <clears throat> went to uh, Adolph Rupp and asked if, if uh, Horning could play basketball, and Rupp said, I'll give him a tryout just like I would anybody else, but sure, he's welcome to do that. So he was on his way to Kentucky. His mom wanted him to go to Notre Dame, and then his best friend from high school, a guy named Cheryl Sykes, who was a halfback at Flagey, he wanted to go to Notre Dame, and they both went to Notre Dame on scholarship. And still today, the answer to the trivia question, the only two players from the same high school to start in the backfield at Notre Dame at the same time, Paul Horning and Cheryl Sykes from Flagey High School. So, yeah, it was it was his Catholic upbringing and his mom's wishes that, that took him to Notre Dame. I never knew that story. That's news to me, and I'm sure that'll be and news it, to our listeners. Said, and he said when, he said when they, they gave him the nickname uh, Golden Boy, he said uh, one time about going to Notre Dame versus Kentucky or someplace else. He goes, it worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he gets to Green Bay. He plays for Lombardi. And the quote from a lot of people is, Lombardi didn't like anybody, but he liked Horning. Yeah, and, and what happened there was, so he, he actually predated uh, Lombardi one year or two, I think, at, at Green Bay. And they weren't very good, and he was moving back and forth between playing quarterback and halfback. And when Lombardi gets there and they got they, they get Bart Starr, Lombardi calls him in the office and said, you're, you're going to play halfback. And Horning's response was, yes, sir. And, and the thing that, like when we created the Paul Horning Award and we talked about the essence of that award, he said, well, it really sums up who I was because I would do anything that the coach asked me to do to help the team win football games. And, and I think that's why Lombardi really cared a lot about Horning because whatever you ask him to do, whether it was punt, place kick, throw a halfback pass, block, and he was a tremendous blocker. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. But he, he would just do whatever the coach asked him to do to help win games. You can't talk about Paul without the gambling situation where he was banned from the league for a while. And... Paul readily admits he bet on games. He bet on the Packers, but he always said, I never bet against us. I always bet that we'd beat the spread. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there were a couple things that were distinctive about Horning and that whole situation. That The first one was when Roselle called him in the office, he, he admitted it and he, and he took his medicine. He, he, would, he would say later on, he said, if that daggone Alex Karras would have just kept his mouth shut, we never would have gotten caught. But um, yeah, he took his medicine. He sat out for a year. Uh, Roselle told him he couldn't go to any gambling establishments whatsoever. So he missed the Kentucky Derby that year. And he lived in Louisville during that time. Uh, kind of a funny follow-up to that. So uh, when they started sports betting across the river a couple of years ago in Indiana, the folks at, um, at the Caesars vote asked if Horning would consider making the ceremonial first bet. And he did. And so we go over there and they, and he had, they gave him $200. He was going to make two $100 bets. He bet the Saints in the future book to win the Super Bowl. He had him at, got him at 12 to 1. And that particular weekend, the Vikings were playing at Green Bay and he took the Packers against the spread. And after he made the bets, there was a bunch of cameras there and a bunch of people and they wanted us to ask him some questions. So I said to him, Paul, so you really like the Packers against the Vikings? He goes, well, I never bet against the Packers when I was playing. Why should I start now? 
it was a it was a precious moment for a man that just you know lived life and and told you what he thought. And um, once he got out of football, he obviously still remained very <clears throat> active, very much larger than life, even though his glory years were behind him. Yeah, he uh, was an on-air TV guy in Chicago, worked for a network affiliate, um, and and almost went into that full-time. He was also did Notre Dame games uh, with Lindsey Nelson, and he had to be of a certain age to remember these. This is back when there weren't very many games on TV, and they would play every Notre Dame game, take delayed on Sunday, um, the day after the game, and they would do it in the condensed format like you see today but he and Lindsey nelson did the games and then he did notre dame radio for many years he did tbs college football when i was at the sid in miami he did one of our games he's written i think a dozen books um did a lot of he did a couple local tv shows uh both on network and on uh, affiliate and on cable so he's been very active and he's been a big guy in signing autographs and he's made a lot of money signing autographs every year for about 20 years, <clears throat> instead of going to the Super Bowl, he would go to Las Vegas and appear at a uh, casino and and do autographs and just shake hands and flat hand and, you know, make some money doing that. And, and so always been very resourceful in terms of being active off the field after his playing days. Obviously, his health has deteriorated. Is he able to get out at all now? Well, he, uh, so a couple things about Paul. First of all, he had a mentor here in Louisville and a financial advisor named Frank Metz. And a lot of people remember Frank and, and that was a big developer. So Paul, uh, invested a lot of his money with Frank and they were business partners and he was also business partners with Lenny Lyle. So Paul is unlike a lot of players from his, his age is, is very well set financially. He is in, uh, does have, have Alzheimer's and he suffered a fall recently and, and he's, uh, in, in rehab and, you know, it's um, that's one of those diseases where it just doesn't get better. Uh, he's, he has some moments where, you know, it's, it's the Paul we all know. Heck, that, that bet that he made at, at uh, Caesars was just a year and a half ago, and it was two years ago. We took him to Los Angeles where he he filmed two Heisman House commercials uh, with Nissan that, that still run every once in a while. So, yeah, but his health, uh, his mental health continues to deteriorate. He he has tremendous care. A lot of people around him that love him, and you know he just kind of lives it day by day. So quite the life that Paul Horning has lived. He's lived it to the fullest, and uh, as I mentioned, now battling Alzheimer's, and it's a tough go for him at this time. Tough go for his family. We wish him well as he approaches his 85th birthday. Moving on into the next segment, we're going to talk about Howard Schnellenberger, and he, too, battling some health issues. He had a fall in his home down in Florida, an internal head injury, and he's battling to come back from that and has had some surgery. And Carl Schmidt, whom we just talked to about Paul Horning, also very close to Howard Schnellenberger. So our conversation with him about Howard Schnellenberger's life and career That's coming up in just a moment, so stay with me. We'll have much more when we return. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories.
I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle, and in this segment of the show, we're going to move on to Howard Schnellenberger. And I'm combining Howard Schnellenberger with Paul Horning as one show simply because they have so many similarities. First of all, they're very close in age, just one year apart. Secondly, they are certainly football icons in this state, very well known by people who never ever saw them play or ever knew anything about their coaching career as far as Schnellenberger goes. But they also both attended, which many didn't know, both attended the same high school. They were high school teammates. They attended Flaget High School in the west end of Louisville. Flaget was mostly made up of working class, blue collar kids. It was a Catholic school, an all boys school, and it closed in the mid 1970s because of low enrollment. But when they were there, it was thriving. It was an excellent athletic school. And both of them, both Schnellenberger and Horning, played football, basketball, and baseball there and were stars on all three of those teams. And they were one year apart. Schnellenberger graduated in 1952 and Paul Horning one year later in 1953. And as I mentioned, Horning went to Notre Dame to play his college ball and then went on to greatness for the Green Bay Packers. Schnellenberger played his college ball at the University of Kentucky. He was a tight end there under Bear Bryant, and he was an All-American tight end, so he had a very good career under Bryant. And then after he graduated, he came back to the University of Kentucky as an assistant coach and was an assistant for a couple of years under Blanton Collier. Moved on from there to the NFL ranks as an assistant coach and eventually became the head coach for the Baltimore Colts. A lot of people don't remember that, but in the uh, early 70s, matter of fact, the 1973 season, he became the head coach of the Colts. They went 4-10 that year, and then starting the 1974 season, they began the year 0-3, and when they got off to an 0-3 start, Schnellenberger was fired. So he had a year plus three games as a head coach in the NFL with the Baltimore Colts, but made his name in coaching with the University of Miami. When he took over that program, he really turned them around, put them on the football map. They had been good previously, but it really dropped off. He came aboard, turned it around, and in 1983, Miami won a national championship, and they defeated Nebraska in the Orange Bowl to win that national championship, and Schnellenberger was uh, hailed as just a savior for that program because Nebraska 
was considered one of the best college football teams of all time that 1983 season. So he wins the national championship. After that, Schnellenberger resigned, and he resigned to become part owner, president, general manager, and head coach of a USFL team, United States Football League team, that eventually it was supposed to play in Miami, but then they decided, that league decided they were going to have a fall schedule, and the owner figured he couldn't compete with the Dolphins if they're going to have a fall schedule. So they moved the team to Orlando. Schnellenberger resigned after not even coaching one game. He said he didn't want to move if they were going to go to Orlando. So his next big move was moving on to the University of Louisville, where he put that football program back on the map. 1985, he took over the UofL program, and uh, he turned them around. And in 1991, their biggest win under his guidance when they knocked off Alabama and defeated them handily in the Fiesta Bowl. That was 1991. Louisville wins that game 34-7. Later on, he resigns from the University of Louisville. That was after the 1994 season. And we'll talk about the reason for his departure coming up here in just a moment. But he leaves there, and he goes to the University of Oklahoma, where he coaches one season. And that was the 1995 season, where they do not do that well. They get off to a 3-0 and start. But after that, they lose to Colorado, defeated handily 38-17. They went 2-5-1 and won the rest of the way after that 3-0 and start. And afterward, in December of 1995, Schnellenberger resigned unexpectedly after that one season. And he said, quote, In recent months, the climate has developed toward the program, understandably in some cases and perhaps unfairly in others, that has changed my outlook on the situation a change could help improve that climate. So he leaves Oklahoma after one year, goes to Florida Atlantic a little later on. In between, I guess I should say, he became, he got into the financial world as became a bond salesman. He gave that a shot, but apparently didn't like that too much. Got back into coaching in 1998 at the age of 64, where he started the Florida Atlantic program from scratch. They'd never had a program before he started that. So after bringing Miami back from death, back from the doldrums, after bringing the University of Louisville out of the doldrums, he goes to Florida Atlantic and he starts a program and he stays there until 2011 when he announced his retirement in August at the end that would be effective at the end of the season. So in 2011, he announced that uh, he would be resigning. He stepped down from head coaching, and he was finished at that point. And so that was the end of his coaching career. But still a very diverse coaching career and a very successful one at the University of Miami and University of Louisville. So that's Howard Schnellenberger's football career as a player and coach in a nutshell. And since then, he's been on the sidelines watching college football and professional football, but has been out of the game since 2011. As I mentioned previously, he, like Paul Horning, dealing with some health issues. Howard had a fall at his home, had some internal damage, suffered a head injury, but internal head injury, and he's trying to come back from that now at the age of 86. So not able to talk to Howard for this show, but once again, going to talk to Carl Schmidt, same person I talked to when talking about Paul Horning, because Carl Schmidt also has a connection with Schnellenberger. Carl Schmidt, like Schnellenberger and Horning, is a Flagey graduate. 
but he's about 10 years younger. He didn't play ball with those guys. He came along and graduated in the early 60s, but uh, he went on to play college football at Moorhead State over in eastern Kentucky. After that, got into the sports information business and contacted Schnellenberger at one point when Schnellenberger was down at Miami, said, I'd like to get on there working in the sports information department. Schnellenberger was able to help him out, get him on there. So that's where their connection began. And after Schnellenberger left to become the head coach at the University of Louisville, Schmidt stayed there for a few more years, but then moved on up to Louisville, became a part of the publicity department at Churchill Downs, and then moved out of that when he took over as director of the Louisville Sports Commission. So I'm going to talk to Carl Schmidt about Howard Schnellenberger, his career, and where he is today. Here's our conversation. He was actually one year ahead of Horning, and they played uh, all three sports together, football, basketball, and baseball. Coach Schnellenberger was the center on the basketball team. Horning was, <laughs> oh, yes, Horning, what position he played, he said shooter. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Coach Schnellenberger was the workhorse rebounder down inside. He used to say, if I ever wanted to get a shot off, I had to rebound it, dribble it down in the court and shoot it because sure as heck, as soon as I passed it to Sipes or Horning, one of them would shoot it. <laughs> they played baseball together. Horning was a was an outfielder and pitched a little bit, and Schnellenberger, you can imagine, was the catcher. And then they played football together, and, and Horning was the quarterback, and Schnellenberger was an end, both a defensive end and an offensive end. And, um, you know, they remained great friends uh, throughout their careers, obviously divergent paths. Schnellenberger going on being a great coach and Paul doing what he did. And Coach Schnellenberger, just a great career, starting with Kentucky and, and going on through his his coaching career. You know, everybody talked when Rick Patino came to Louisville to coach because of his connections to UK. I don't know that there was that much talk with Schnellenberger when he came and coached at Louisville after having played at UK, or am I wrong there? Well, the, you know, the first thing is uh, I think there's, there was a lot of di- distance and years between when Coach Schnellenberger did it and when and Rick Patino was just a few years. So there's a lot of different distance there. And, and the one distinction that, that Howard Schnellenberger has, he's the only player that's been inducted into the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville Sports Halls of Fame. So that's a distinction that that is going to be pretty tough to be equaled you would think, right? So, uh, yeah, but that that whole thing, and, and there are a lot of people at Kentucky that say they missed the boat, that they should have hired him. They, the job was open. They could have hired Coach Schnellenberger after he left Miami, they, and they went a different route. Yeah, I remember all that talk, and many people said for years that you're right, that they, they missed that opportunity, that he would have come back and coached at Kentucky in a heartbeat had he been given the chance, but they never offered. Probably so, yeah. And you know, he was a builder, and and that's what that's what we all learned how he built programs, and and you know they, you know he he came back to Louisville and built the program. So why did he leave? Why did he take the Oklahoma job? Well, so it's a, I think a little bit of history there is he left Miami because he had a falling out with the athletic director, you know, Coach Nelberger saw things a certain way, and they brought a new AD in, and there was some thought in the aftermath they thought Schnellenberger was getting too powerful the fact is he was a very weak athletic director beforehand so he he left he left Miami he took really took a job with USFL right. in Miami that whole thing never materialized because they made the knucklehead decision to move from playing in the spring to the fall but 
Then it comes to Louisville, and, and the vision that was laid out for them at that time was they were in Conference USA, and he just didn't see that as as a pathway to um, where they he wanted the program to go. Now, who 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 could have predicted that they would be in the ACC someday? And, and I think, and, and he he readily admitted that it, of of the mistakes he made in his life, leaving Louisville was probably a mistake. He probably shouldn't shouldn't have left and you know that that he he as a guy that could that was really uh, phenomenal at painting pictures of what the future would look like that maybe he should have seen that there could have been a a big conference future in Louisville uh, someday but he just didn't see it so yeah he left and went to Oklahoma and and he admitted that that was probably not the best move. Well, you know, a lot of people say if not for him, that new stadium would have never been built and U of L would never be in the ACC now. Well, look, I could give you a lot of if not for if not for him, my, the University of Miami would never have made the mark that that program did on college football with five national championships from the early '80s to the early 2000s. Uh, if not for him, I think Louisville eventually would have gone to a different division. Could have gone to a different division in football. You know, we've all heard the the, the Schnellenberger's quote. A collision course with the national championship. The only variable is time. You know, he was, people laughed at him about that one at, at, at Louisville, and they laughed at him at Miami. Five years, he said, we're going to it's going to take us to get to a national championship game. Well, it took four. Um, and so, yeah, that was that that dreamer, that builder, that uh, person who could see into the future and see what things could be. Well, that's really who he was, and it was a very uh, you know, just a, a trait that you don't find in a lot of people. A lot of times, you know, when things happen. So when he got to Miami, the cupboard was not bare. There were a lot of great football players there, including Jim Kelly and Jim Burt and some others. When he got to Louisville, the cupboard was bare. I mean, there were really no players. I remember one of his quotes, and they were get. I think they ended up getting beat. They either got beat by Murray or Eastern. That was an OVC team. And his quote after the game was, they may be dogs, but they're my dogs. <laughs> Talking about his players. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he just took full responsibility for it. And and it would never happen today, Gary. The losses that they took in his early years at Louisville, a coach would never survive that. Never survive it. But, you know, back in the in the day, they, they gave people more time, and there was less of a rush for success, and there was an, uh, a – an acknowledgement that the program was so far down that you needed to give this this person a chance to build, and he, and Bildy did. You know, and they had that unique opportunity that came up after they won some games of going to that Fiesta Bowl, and that was really the one that kind of put the whole thing on the map. But yeah, it was a it was a program in, in deep trouble at the time that he got here, and, and the turnaround makes the turnaround even more remarkable. So what was it like to play for Coach Snellenberger? Well, I talked to a couple of former players, Jeff and Greg Brom. You may remember the Brom brothers. Uh, Greg was a wide receiver and Jeff was a quarterback at Trinity High School in Louisville. And they both went on to play those roles under Coach Snellenberger at the University of Louisville. And Jeff went on to play uh, briefly in the NFL before getting into coaching. And he's been the head coach at Western Kentucky University and left there and is now currently the head coach for Purdue. And Greg is on his staff. 
So I talked to the Brom brothers about playing for Coach Schnellenberger, and we'll have those conversations when we come back in just a moment. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a, a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211, and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones. And so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211 and if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you, be well. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogel, and it's time to hear from a couple of former players, former players for Coach Howard Schnellenberger. I talk with Jeff and Greg Brom, the Brom brothers who played at Trinity High School back in the late 80s, Louisville Trinity High, and they both went on and played for Coach Schnellenberger at the University of Louisville. Greg was a wide receiver, and Jeff was a quarterback. And then Jeff went on to play briefly in the NFL before getting into college coaching, where he has been the head football coach at Western Kentucky University, now the head football coach at Purdue. And Greg, his brother, is on his staff at Purdue. So Greg is the older one by a year. So let's start with him and talk to him about his experience of playing for Coach Snellenberger when Greg was at UofL. What was it, what was it like playing for him? You know, it it was a great honor. It was a great honor because we, when we were growing up, my dad told us about Howard Schnellenberger because my dad went to Flagey High School, Flagey High School, where Howard was a star. And then Howard was the coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And I remember they were making their run to the national championship. And my dad would tell us, hey, that, that coach there, he went to Flagey. And, uh, uh, so we had we were following him. We were kind of get really interested in what he was doing. And then all of a sudden he went, you know, he went to the University of Louisville, which nobody thought that could happen. He would come back home, and and that's the guy. That's the program we wanted to play for. And really, when I think back on it, it was kind of like you're, he's, he was the essence of college football. I mean, the guy had played for Bear Bryant. He coached with Bear, Don Shula, and he was tough. He wanted to win. He gave guys an opportunity maybe that weren't the biggest or the fastest always, but if they were the best football player. And he coached toughness. He was a class individual. Um, so he's still a mentor 
to uh, to us and to Jeff especially. Jeff has called him several times since we've been at Purdue and asked his opinion. But I think everybody, you know, it's one of those things when you play, were playing for him, it was the toughest thing you'd ever done. You didn't know how you were going to get through the practice. Um, I remember having three-a-day practices for a week. Uh, now, you know, they, you can't even, you, you get your, you're limited to one now. But we, we had three-a-days for a, a week and then another week of two-a-days. And a lot of our former teammates, you know, at the time were like, how, you know, we gonna, how are we going to get through this? And now it's the greatest thing we ever did. Now we're like, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's a, we bonded because of that, that we were able to not only get through it, we didn't get through it, we got better through it. We got better as people, as players, and, and Howard, I mean, he made everybody believe you the University of Louisville could be great. And uh, his vision, uh, you know, he, his vision is why that stadium is there. It's why Louisville is, can, can compete at the level they compete at. And uh, he, he, he made you he made you believe you were better than you were, and you played up to what he believed in you. And now let's move on to brother Jeff, who played quarterback for the Cardinals under Schnellenberger. And uh, Schnellenberger was considered a great offensive mind. Talk to Jeff a little bit about that and his other experiences of playing for Coach Schnellenberger. What was your relationship with him when you played, and have you maintained one with him since you've gotten into coaching? Well, I for sure have maintained a relationship with him. I, I, I thank the world of him. I think he was one of the greatest coaches to ever coach. Uh, he's taught me a, a tremendous amount about the game and about, you know, how to motivate and how to uh, build a program and, and how to do it the right way. And, uh, you know, yes, he's a guy that I've leaned on uh, as I've been a head coach, and he's always given great advice because he's a very, as we all know in the state of Louisville, he's a very positive person that isn't scared to reach for the stars and, and try to go out and achieve it. And, uh, you know, when he, when he says things like collision course for the national championship, he actually believes it. It's not just the same. And he has a unique ability to get others on his team and even in the community to believe that as well. So that's kind of what I learned from him. Uh, one of the many things is, you know, you've got to find a way to get your players to believe that no matter who we play at any point during the season, they expect to take the field and win. And that's, that's easier. That's, that's, that's a little bit harder to do than you think. And, and he was the best at it. So I give him a lot of credit for a lot of the things that I've learned. Uh, and he's been great to me and my family. And uh, as you know, he's, he's a Louisvillian through and through and he uh, appreciates his background. So I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and, and um, you know, love being around him any chance I get. He always had the demeanor of being tough and gruff and always serious. Did he have a funny side? Oh, without question. Yeah, he he could be very comical and, and joke and uh, uh, had a great wit about him. Uh, as you guys know, he, he was a great orator. He could speak. He'd get in front of people and, and deliver a message uh, where he got people to believe. But, you know, he understood, you know, he learned from Bear Bryant. He understood in order to really win a game of football, you've got to be tough and you've got to be physical and you've got to work at it. And you've got to come ready to play. And I think he's always kept that mentality. So you just heard from Jeff and Greg Brom. Well, they are the subject of my show next week. Not just them, but the entire Brom family. Because Jeff and Greg and younger brother Brian were all three outstanding football players at Louisville Trinity High School, and they also were stars, had great careers at the University of Louisville. And not only that, their father, Oscar, was an outstanding football player, 
and mom and sister were also great athletes. So the Brom family is the subject of my show next week. I think you'll find it interesting. I hope you'll come back then. And between now and then, if you'd like to reach out to me, please do so. You can go to my website, KentuckySportsMemories.com. Click on the contact button. If you have any comments or maybe a show idea, please pass it along. That'll do it for this week's show. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Carl Schmidt for his contributions and the Brom Brothers. And I will be back with you next week at this time. Until then, I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I grow trail. Up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a I sunny up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council.